This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My amazing co-host today is C.R. Rice. And our guest today is the amazing Judy Stanagar. Woo! Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. Guess what I'm drinking today? So I have my sweet apple pie, which is apple brandy with spices and natural flavor from our sponsor, Skunk Brothers Spirits. So if you go to skunkbrotherspirits.com, type in D- coupon code DWA10, you can get this. It's sweet apple pie. It's kind of amazing. And I'm just having it over rocks by itself like a boss. That's what bosses do. Um, anyway, CR, what are you drinking today? Um, I am sticking to my green tea and vodka. Um, our, the fancy name we came up with it because we keep demanding one is crazy. We should make a weird drink for all of the four horsemen. So we're going to go opposite. So we're going to call this a pestilence because it's healthy. So instead of being like something toxic, we're, we're going to go with it. I like it. Pestilence. I enjoy it. Okay, Judy, what are you drinking? Okay, so first I'll tell you, I was going to drink something Greek because we're getting ready next September to go to Greece and we're just planning a trip. But I couldn't find anything in the house. So I settled to my other favorite, my most favorite country, which is Italy. And I'm having um, just some Pellegrino and Campari. Ooh, that's fancy, though. That's pretty fancy. No, just a fancy glass. I like the fancy glass. Judy, for those that do not know you that are listening into this podcast, what do you write? Okay, so, so my last book is a book called uh, Marika's Best Laid Plan. And it's, um, it's a fiction, it's a fictionalized account of my years um, working in a methadone clinic in New York City. I'm basically, I'm a therapist who turned to writing late in life. Oh, wow, but that's, so, that had to have some adventures with it. Yes, yes, it, it was, it's, it's quite a ride. So when did you, you say late in life, when did you actually first start writing? Well, I started writing when I was 10 years old. I started keeping a diary and had kept it going for many, many years. But, and I've written all my life, but it was the sort of writing that you write, you know, and then you put it in a drawer somewhere. And then about seven years ago, I took a semi-retirement from my profession. You know, I just went into a, a private practice so that's when I started taking writing seriously with the idea that maybe I will actually publish it. So about seven years ago, I started writing. I wrote my first uh, fiction uh, called um, A Quartet in Love and self-published. And um, once I got that under my belt, I wrote my second novel and I said, well, this time, let me see if I can get a publisher. And I did. So that's, you know, so it's so far, I've got two down and I'm now working on a third thing, which is a memoir. So. Wow. So what was that like for you um, going the self-publishing route originally? It was, uh, hmm. 
it was a little scary, but I have to say that it was easier than I thought. What I didn't think through is I thought, well, you know, it's out there and that's it. And now the public will find it and I will, you know, become a, an amazing bestseller author because I didn't do anything as far as marketing. I mean, it was just, I shouldn't have been clueless because in my pre, I call it my previous life. This is my third life. So my, my first one, I worked in publishing in New York City for a couple of years. Yeah, for a few years, I worked at Little Brown, which is a pretty large publishing company. And then I decided to uh, get into, um, get, went back to school and became a therapist. That's my second life, my major big life. And now my third one is, is going back to publishing, but the, the landscape has changed so much in all the years since I've been in it that um, I forgot that, you know, when you self-publish, it's not like when a big publishing house puts you out there and they have the marketing and publicity behind you and, and so, so on. So I just kind of put it out there and my friends read it and I had fun with it. So, but it was really, I was very, I didn't get it professionally edited. It was just, hey, I wrote a novel sort of thing. I should have known better, but you know, it was fun still, it was good. Well, no, that, I mean, I, it's, it is a good experience and depending on what you're trying to get out of it, if you were putting it out there to go, I'm going to be a world famous author, well, maybe you should have approached it slightly differently, right. but that's, so that's kind of exciting. She so went from publishing into therapy how did you how did you end up be, being in a methadone clinic? That's that's kind of heavy. It was. It was. And I want to say before I tell you this, I want to say that my novel tackles some heavy subjects, but in a lighthearted manner, because I'm I'm all about if you don't have a sense of humor, you might as well just, you know, end it. <laughs> so you gotta have that's humor true. in life, especially as a therapist. So um, you know. I actually started working in a methadone clinic even before I completed my degree. It was part of, initially it was part of, uh, part of school, my internship. And then I kept my job for a few years. And um, it was a world that was totally new to me working with uh, heroin addicts in a methadone clinic. And methadone is very um, controversial because it's, uh, you know, you're, you're giving addicts uh, a synthetic heroin, basically, yeah. to maintain them. So it's, it's controversial, but it's, it's, such, it, oh, it's such an amazing world because the clientele, they're sad and tragic and funny. They're um, lovable and, and at the same time exacerbate, exasperating. Um, it's, it just, I fell in love with the clientele. And while I was working there, I thought to myself, one day I'm going to write a book and I'm going to call it Tales of Macedonia. You know, Tales from the Methadone Clinic. And it was in the back of my mind for years. But then, you know, life interferes with your plans. And I was, you know, moving along with my career. We moved a lot. We lived in different cities and uh, states. So it was there and I just started, when I had time, I started 
you know, writing a little bit, but then as I said, I put it in a drawer. And then, um, and then a couple of years ago, I said, well, let me see what I can do with this. And that's when I decided to uh, make it into a real novel. So you went romance, the first book you wrote? No, the first book I wrote, which is, um, oh, here, A Quartet in Love, is actually, uh, it, it's, it's, it's about my, my, a college, my college experience. And oh. it's about, so it's about my situation that occurred to me in college with my boyfriend and my professor friend. And at the same time, I weave into it a lot of uh, fictionalized characters and so on. So it's basically about a quartet of people all looking for love in all the wrong places and at different stages in life. One is an 18 year old, um, my, my, my character it was the 18 year old freshman and you know what it's like to have your hormones raging and be 18 and uh, newly in love and so on. And at the same time, what it's like for a couple of the professors who are in midlife and everybody wants love and everybody wants some sort of renewal and, and, and finding, you know, something fresh in their lives. And, but they're all at it, you know, finding it in all the wrong places. So it's kind of a funny story, but um, I think it resonates for people who at all ages in life, because you know, whether you're 18 or, or 80, you're, you still want something romantic in life. That's so true. That's very, very true. Um, so it sounds like all of your books, though, have like a real life element that you then fictionalized. Yes, absolutely. Because I think that has something to do with, first, my need to tell a certain story but also, to be honest, maybe I don't have the imagination to come up. I mean, like, I'm also always awed by people who do sci-fi or fantasy. I mean, coming up with, like, an amazing original idea. So my ideas are always from a place of my life. But then I am able to take off with it and, and fictionalize it. That's very cool. So when you wrote your first book, how long did that take you? Oh, the first one I'd say took me about uh, almost three years between the writing and, and, and the, and the, you know, rewrite and rewrite. I was, you know, I, I don't, even the second one took, a, took about two years because I'm not good at making um, outlines. So I go on, you know, I let the characters lead me and then you, you go, you go on roads that then, you know, mislead you and then you have to backtrack and that sort of thing. So I do envy people who can really do an outline and stick to it. I know my, I know my beginning and I know my end when I start writing. What I don't know is the middle, and I kind of let the characters take me there. But as I say, they don't always—they don't always take you to the right place. So you have to—at least that's my process. No, I think every author's process is different. When you so you started your life, you went into publishing. Why did you leave publishing? 
or let's start before that. Why did you go into publishing? What were you trying to be when you grew up, so to speak? Okay. okay. So, <laughs> what I grew up in Israel, and then I moved to this country when I was a teenager, and I always wanted to write. So that, but then I came from a from a background where writing, you know, my parents were into very old world and, you know, they were Holocaust survivors. And for them, um, go to college is a must so you can get a good job and have a profession where you get a salary every week, you know, mm -hmm. something to hold on to. Um, and so writing was not really considered an option. No, so when I... Go ahead. That makes sense. No, totally makes sense. It's right. Like, oh, that, that's that huge. You need to make money, though. We appreciate your art. <laughs> right. Exactly. But you need to have a profession. Yeah. So, um, so the next best thing when I got out of college was to work in publishing. If I can't write, at least I can be surrounded by other artists, you know, and, and writers. So, um, so that's why I that's why I got into publishing, into working there. But um, I, maybe I was a little disillusioned with working there because you work with in, in publishing because you're so into literature, you know. And I was mm -hmm. young, and I was you know um, bedazzled with you know working in with with authors. But uh, you know, it's not. It's not exactly working with literature, Gesundheit. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it was, um, it, it, so, so after a while, I was, I was feeling uh, that the reason I'm interested in authors and I'm interested in, in literature is because I'm interested more in the human psyche. Mm -hmm. No, that so, makes sense. So, so while I was working there, I started thinking about something else I could do. And then um, I started talking to people and someone said to me, I think you'd be a good therapist. And I was like, okay, that's an idea. And just opened that door and I went through it and didn't look back. Wow, that's, that, is, that is quite a journey. You know, and I think sometimes, you know, you go into a career, I always say this when I'm talking to people about choosing a career, whether it's, you know, when they're coming out of school or just any kind of thing is go actually work in that career, shadow that career, because then you learn that career and then you go, oh, this isn't great. Like I used to work with a lot of high school students and I would hear them go, I want to be a nurse. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So when you're a nurse, it's never when your patients are happy and doing well. Like maybe if you're a nurse in, um, you know, certain units, but for the most part, patients aren't doing great if there is a nurse involved. So when you start in nursing and stuff, you're going to have to change bedpans and vomit and all this other fun stuff. And I'm like, maybe you should go shadow for a day and decide if you want to be a nurse. I think nursing is a noble profession. I think it's one of the best professions, but don't go to a bunch of school to then discover what nursing is actually about, right? Like that so doesn't true. at all. That's you know, so that's true what you're saying, because also I think when we're young, I mean, we, we're, 
we're asked to choose a profession for life when we're 18, 19. Like we really know. I mean, oh no, I think know? you should decide what you want to be when you grow up over and over again in this life and exactly. do that. I, exactly. I think and we've met so many writers on this show that are late, late bloomers. That's what I'll call them. So they've decided later in life to take up writing as a profession, right? Or at least a really strong hobby, if nothing else. You know, exactly. so I, I I think I think it's really, really cool. Okay. Yeah. So what what totally made you finally go, you know what? I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna publish, I'm gonna make a book and I'm gonna publish it. Did you what was the catalyst that finally made you decide to do that? Oh gosh, was it? You know, we moved to um, so one of our final, our last move uh, was from San Francisco to San Diego, and when we moved, I said, you know what? Every time I moved, I brushed up my resume and hustled and went there and got a job, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I've always wanted to write and I'm not going to look for a job. I'm going to sit home, let my husband support me and I'm going to write. And that was as simple as that. I said, you know what? If not now, when it was one of those moments that, you know, I kept pushing it and pushing it. And one day I'm going to, one day I'm going to do this when my life is perfect or this or that I'm going to. And I said, there's, yeah, that's it. It's now or never. I was, it was basically cowardice, to be honest with you. I was afraid to sit home and just write. Well, how did your husband feel about that when you're like, you know what? I am actually just going to stay here and I'm going to type some words. You <laughs> go get a paycheck. Thank you. <laughs> oh, what was that like? <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, I must have done something right in my previous life to have him. Because he's always been very supportive and he's always been the one to tell me, Judy, you always told me you wanted to write. So why are you, you know, why are you getting a job? Why? And, and the reason I used to like hustle and get a job is that we moved to a city. I don't know anyone in the city. Uh, I don't have kids. So it's a very isolating kind of thing without friends, without kids. You sit home and you write and you wait for the moment that your husband comes home to talk to someone. So it was hard. And that's why whenever we moved, I said, well, I'm, you know, first thing I'm going to do is go look for a job. No, that so, makes sense. So, uh, so I, you know, I, I like to blame him for my, uh, <laughs> 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 but actually the buck stops with me. I'm the reason I stopped myself all these years from really writing. I mean, I enjoy, I love my, my profession as a therapist too. Yeah. So it wasn't like uh, I was doing something I hated all these years. Instead of writing, I was doing something I loved. No, that makes sense. I think that's a true story for uh, authors in all different walks of life and whatever. We're the absolute worst at holding ourselves back. Mm-hmm. Very few people are just writing their hearts out and they're, you know, waiting for something. A lot of times it's not actually doing it right? It's not actually doing the writing and putting it there. Exactly. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who is nicknamed Skunk. 
Gunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. Okay, we're back. All right. So my big question is, is I know you, you said you, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this without it sounding weird. Um, so you like, you know, the sci-fi and things like that. And you said you, you didn't think that you were capable of coming up with something as creative as that. Have you thought about dabbling into it to see if you could, or are you just going to stick to, to doing your um, life experiences in a fictional twist? Uh, the short answer is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm beyond, you know, I'm beyond learning to do something is to me, it would be too hard. Yeah. It would be too hard to do um, a sci-fi. And honestly, it's not what I want to do. It's not what I desire to write. So I'm at the stage in life where I'm just going to do and write what I want, just what I want to, you know, it's interesting. I had, a, I had some, I was, I was at the library the other day doing an author uh, interview and someone uh, asked me, he's a writer in the audience. And he said, well, how do you figure out what's out there in the market and what you should write? Because by the time you finish writing it, the, the market has moved on from, from fantasy to something else. And I said, you, you know, for me, it doesn't work that way. I'm going to write what I want to write, but there's no market. There's no market, but um, that's just me right now. No, I, I think that's good. I think people who write to market, if, if that's their thing and they want to do that and they're creative that way, that's great. I think that when it comes to artwork, it's one thing to be commissioned to do something, regardless of what type of art you do. It's one thing to be commissioned and you review, like I, I use this example for tattoo artists all the time, right? Tattoo artists get paid to do tattoos. That's what they get paid to do. And if you get better and better at it, you are very able to select what kind of tattoos you want to do because you can go, no, I'm not going to do that butterfly on the wall. My favorite tattoo studios do not have any artwork like tattoo with you know flash is what they call it where you can go i want that b that's in that tattoo flash right mm -hmm. but um and so i think those are the best but it's very interesting because as you start off you have to sometimes do the b that's on the flash but as a writer you can go okay i'm going to do that because that's going to make me money that's what the tattoo artist is doing i'm going to do the b on the flash because that's going to make me money or as an artist you can go i'm going to write what i like what i'm passionate about and find my audience that wants to read what I want to write. And hopefully it's an, you can build an audience and it gets bigger and bigger and it's very profitable, but sometimes it's just going to be a little 
little niche audience that loves your stuff and you have to be doing it because you want to do it. And if you're doing it to make a millions of dollars, then you, you need to you're, go write, you know, small town romances and get ghostwriters and have them write 12 of them a year for you and do all the marketing and stuff. Cause that's, that's a different business than the business of actually writing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and to be honest, you know, I'm at the stage of life where I, I don't need to, to, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm past where I need to make a million, you know, I, it's like, I think that's great. So um, you have three books under your belt now, right? No, no, two. I'm working on the third. Okay. And what is, um, so you're working on the third. When is it supposed to come out? Oh, I don't know because I'm really, um, I'm probably only about halfway through it. So I haven't even uh, tried to get a, a, to put it out there. So I, I would say probably another year and a half or so. It, it's a memoir of my childhood in Israel. So uh, again, who knows if there's a market for it, but that's what I'm, but that's what I'm into right now. So. No, that's very cool. So let's talk about your process because, so what is your writing process like? What is your setup like? Um, I'm not where, when you're saying setup, you mean like, do you like to write in person? Do you, I mean like by yourself or do you like to write, like go to a coffee shop and oh, write? Okay. Like I write in the morning. I only write in the morning and the sun has to be this way and I need to have a cup of tea. Like what is your, <laughs> what is your writing Got process? It. Got it. Okay. So, um, I have to write by myself and I can't have music. It has to be quiet and I have to be at the computer and I'm usually a morning person, but, you know, in the past couple of years, I've expanded it. And if I, if I'm out and about in the morning, then I will force myself to get going in the afternoon where I used to be, oh, it's, it's past one o'clock. I'm not writing. Um, now I'm, I'm, I'm more flexible, but I also, uh, I have a wonderful group of friends who are writers and once or twice a week, we zoom in. The wonderful world of Zoom is, is opened up thanks to COVID, unfortunately, right? Yeah, um, no, it, it definitely changed the landscape. I will say it that. It sure has, because these friends are on the East Coast, and here I am on the West Coast. And once a week, we Zoom in, and we uh, then we spend an hour writing, and then we, are, we read pieces of what we've written, and we uh, exchange uh, commentary on it. And it's so motivating and it's so wonderful. And I never thought I'd be able to write when, you know, I'm zooming in and it's like, you know, I thought I needed my space, my quiet, but it works wonderfully. So, um, so yeah. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you, since you were sort of writing in a vacuum, so to speak, when did you find your tribe? So, uh, you know, initially it was in a vacuum. Absolutely. And then I met a couple of people and I started telling them that I'm writing and one person told me about another person. And then I took a class and met some people in that class. And then I have a very good friend on the East coast who's also writing. Uh, she's been uh, published quite a few um, short stories and she went to a class and she met some people and through them, I met some people. It's just like, you know, when you, um, I think when you put yourself out there and when you stop being so closed in, 
then you open doors for yourself and you meet the right, you meet the people that you want to meet. Um, but I, I had the tendency before that, that, you know, like my writing is my secret thing and I didn't tell people about it. It, it was, uh, you'd think for a therapist, I would be a little bit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, it, it, the, so my last, the book that I just published, the one about methadon, it's actually, it's, I, I started writing it about my clients, but then I turned the book and it's more about the therapist working with the clients. And the whole point of the book is to showing to show that the therapist is just as impaired in her ways as the clients. Because people think, you know, therapists, you got it all together. We're just as messed up as everybody else. That makes sense. I mean, it, I can totally see that. That I that can be absolutely true. Do you what has the feedback been like on this book? So I have gotten some great feedback from uh, reviewers, bloggers, reviewers. I'm astonished, you know, because, you know, that's the thing. The fear is that you put it out there and people are going to go, oh, my God, this is horrible. But um, no, I've gotten some really excellent feedback. I'm really um, humbled by it and amazed, you know. That's very cool. What about people just... um who've maybe experienced that or been part of a journey having to do with that? Have you had anybody reach out to you from that aspect yet? No, I haven't yet. And it's and perhaps it's because I haven't been able to reach that audience of people who are struggling with addiction. Um, since I haven't read the book yet, um, do you feel like it's written in a way that it would help people that maybe are having those journeys? Uh, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't exactly the intent, but in a subtle way, yes, because it's, um, it's really showing you that uh, we who are not struggling with addiction have similar struggles. So my protagonist struggles with uh, not, not, you know, fearing being vulnerable and, and trying to go through life without, uh, without, uh, without vulnerability, you know, like trying not to, sh not staying away from love. And heroin addicts do the same thing. They mask, the, you, know, the, you know, their vulnerability with a substance. Yeah. So it's 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 a it's a parallel path, and I'm trying to show that it that there's a way of conquering that. Oh, I think that's awesome. Do you think Thank that you. when it, it does reach that audience, because as as it spreads and you know people start talking to friends about what it's about and things like that, do you think it would be? I mean, from working with with addicts and things like that, do you think it's something that? they would maybe like read and not say anything to anybody to like kind of seek some, I'm trying to think of the word solace or something in it, like to know that they're not alone or do you think that they would just hear about it and not want to read it at all? I would think they would, they, solace is a great word that you use. Absolutely. I think the book uh, will act that way because I think it's very, healing and it's very comforting to read a book about 
that that you can see yourself in it and it's all about hope i mean i start in, in the beginning of the you know before the 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 actual um, story i put in um emily dickinson's uh poem about hope hope is that thing with feathers because the book is all about hope and if you live your life in hopelessness it's a very dark way to live your life and so this book is really about hope both for for uh the protagonist with her, with her struggles and for the heroin addicts who have their struggles That's and awesome. actually yeah so the book sorry no go ahead your podcast so the, go do it so the book actually i um takes place in new york city in the 1980s and I said it there for two reasons. Number one, it's because that's when I worked in the, in the methadone field in New York City. But also, more importantly, because it was at the time when the AIDS epidemic was hitting the IV drug user community. Oh, wow. And it's, it's, it's their reaction, which is not unlike what we're going through with COVID, the fear and the misinformation and even the fear of, uh, of, of, of how you can contract it, you know. So I, you know, I needed to set it in that, in that time frame, you know, but I, I didn't realize when I, when I started writing it, it was before COVID. So I just realized that at, while I was writing it, that, oh gosh, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of, it's, it's really about hope, about enduring and conquering your, your demons. That's so when you first finish it, were you, like, I know as an author, like, I was, like, actually surprised at myself that I was able to actually, like, finish a book because writing is easy, but finishing what you're writing is really difficult. Um, so were you proud of yourself for, for getting it done and ready to go? Yes, I was, to be honest, yes. Um, I, there was, I went to listen to this guy who was talking to a bunch of us writers and he said, you know, so many people want to write a book and so many people plan to write a book and so many people start to write a book, but there are fewer and fewer who actually finish. So if you finish the book, just feel good that you've completed something, you know, even if you'll never publish it, the fact that you've started something and you finished makes you feel good. Yeah. No, and that's completely true what you just said, because um, finishing is sometimes the hardest part for authors, especially they can get tied up in thinking they have, you know, 10 million more things to do to get to that, that point, and then they never get there. Um, so let's, let's talk real quick um, on the self-publishing journey. Did you do any research or anything, or did you just throw it up on Amazon? How did you get uh -huh. your first book? So the first book, I kind of, I went, uh, I was taking a class and someone came in to talk to us about self-publishing and he gave us the lay of the land more or less and laid it out there. And he said, if you're going to self-publish this, I'm talking about four or five years ago. And he said, um, Amazon is the least expensive and kind of the easiest way of total self-publishing. Then you said there's the hybrid publisher, there's this, there's that. And I didn't want to, honestly, I, you know, hybrid was a little too expensive. 
So I went with Amazon without giving it too much thought. It's only when I was writing the second one that I really started researching the lay of the land for the hybrid publishers and other, you know, other self-publishing out venues out there. Um, but I was, I was lucky to send it. I, I said, well, let me just try to send the second one to, I, I didn't even want to start with looking for uh, agents. So I said, well, let me just go to small publishers who accept unsolicited manuscripts. So I sent it out to about 10 publishers. And the first one, I can be a little, uh, you know, spontaneous. The first one who said, oh, we're interested. Send us the manuscript. I did. And, and that's it. I went with that. Wow. That's very, that's very awesome. lucky. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. I don't know if a beginner's luck or what, but it was really, um, you, you know, it floored me when I got, I mean, you know, you send it out there and you, you want and you, you know, you hope for it. And then when someone sends you a, we're interested, you go, really? Oh my God, here, take it. Have you done a lot of social media? Have you found like now marketing your book? Um, How's that going? It's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I did, I've done a few podcasts and uh, social media. It's, it's all new, new for me because this is, I mean, I just started and, you know, I'm kind of, what is it behind the eight ball? Yeah. Because uh, I, you know, I should have listened. People tell you, you know, start social media months and months before you publish and, you know, build up your platform and all of that. And, and I started you know, the month I got published or two months, you know, so I got published in, in uh, mid-October. Oh, wow. So, so how is, how's it been working with the social media and all that? I mean, I'm really having fun with it. You know, I, oh. I started it thinking, oh my God, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And, and then just got into it. And I said, you know, you know, there's not much fun in aging, except that as you age, you you are less concerned with, uh, oh, what's the repercussion going to be, and what are people going to say? You just go, just go with it. What's the worst that can happen? You know. So I'm just having fun. I'm, I'm you know, um, gotten a few uh, podcast interviews. I'm having a few more. I'm just you know having fun with it. No, I think that's part of the exciting part, right? Is to have fun with it. Absolutely, yeah. I think when I, if I would, I doubt that it would have been fun would be the adjective to use um, when I was younger. I probably would have been just way too anxious with the whole process. No, that makes sense. I think I think it, it's definitely different when you're approaching it the way you're approaching it. Yeah. Okay. So, Mike, we, oh, well, we're getting near the end of this particular podcast. What advice would you give authors out there? Wow. So my advice would be, first of all, to write. No matter what, you got to write. You actually have to and be, um, you know, be vigilant. Set the time, you know, like every day, you know, whatever it is. But you got to actually Right. You know, I, I made so many excuses and I, you know, I have time for coffee and I have to do this. And I have to do everything except for actually write. 
So actually, the first advice would be to write. And the second one would be to be kind of fearless. Just write what you want to write and, and just go with it. You know, just, just be fearless about what you want to write. Write from the heart. Very, very cool. Okay, so let's talk. It's the shameless self-promotion part. Let's talk about the name of your book and where to find it and where to find you. Okay, so the name of the book, should I... Pick it up. Go for it. Shameless okay, self-promotion. That's the whole that's the whole point, right? Okay. I have can you see it? It's called Marika's Best Laid Plan. Very cool. I love you know the best, yes, and you know how best laid plans sometimes go awry. So and it can be found on Amazon. It can be ordered from all bookstores, but Amazon would be the one uh, that's the fastest and easiest because other book club, other bookstores would have to order it themselves. And, um, and you can find it on uh, my website, which is judystanagar.com. Very cool. Do you have a, a newsletter? No, I don't. Um, no, I haven't gotten into that yet. Well, maybe by the time this podcast airs, you will have a newsletter. That would be a good okay. goal to have because that way people can follow your writing journey with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And on Facebook and uh, I do write a blog, but I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's only on my website. I don't have. Uh, no, that's the best place for blogs. Is yeah, website. Yeah, no, yeah. That's awesome. So you're on Facebook. Are you on Twitter or Instagram or any of those? I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. On, um, yeah. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Did I miss anything? Unless you're on TikTok, which <laughs> no. surprised me for you to tell me you're on TikTok. So I'm not got on TikTok at this point in my life. No, that's a lot of that's a lot of commitment. I'm just letting you know. And I, I know. <laughs> Very cool, Judy. It has been so fantastic having you on this podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been C.R. Rice. Our guest has been Judy Stanagar. And our sponsor, see, I almost forgot there. Our sponsor <laughs> has been Skunk Brothers Spirits. I'm drinking their sweet apple pie. You can find them at skunkbrotherspirits.com, DWA10. And I just realized there's a cinnamon stick in this bottle, and it's the first time I realized that. So that says That's wonders awesome. about me. <laughs> anyway... Um, check them out, DWA10, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.